Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 88. Wow, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna love this one in China. So a couple weeks ago, I talked about unintended consequences. And, you know, the more I think about that, the more I want my default assumption to be that all consequences are unintended. <laughs> Because, and I know I keep hammering at this point, but reality is irreducibly complex. And therefore, the odds that we act in a complex system and exactly what we think is going to happen happens is probably the exception. But I want to talk about a slightly different idea today. I want to think this through a little bit. And this is the idea, and I think it's related to some extent, is the idea of a positive feedback loop. And this is the idea of, of reflexivity. This is the idea of escalation. And you sort of have these runaway effects. And I was trying to look for examples of positive feedback loops. And I think it's actually a little trickier than, than I had originally thought going in. And so one example that, that I think is a good one is the Millennium Bridge in London when it opened. And everyone rushed out onto the bridge. And the natural sway, the natural way people put their foot down, their feet down, caused very small sideways vibrations in the bridge. And that very small amount of vibration caused other people to put their feet down and to sway just a little bit in response. And then that feedback made other people do the same thing. And so the effect was continually, continually reinforced. It continued to escalate. The result is you can go online and you can see this modern, expensive, highly engineered bridge essentially swaying to the point of instability and, you know, uselessness. And, you know, this is a positive feedback loop, but at some level, it's also an unintended, it's also an unintended consequence because people didn't understand that this was going to happen. It's really dangerous when you have something that's unintended and then it's a runaway, when it just escalates out of control. And it's dangerous not just because it's out of control, but we don't understand it. We don't understand what's going on. And that makes treating or solving or even acknowledging the problem much more difficult. Here's another example. So in this country, we thought at a certain time that it would be an amazing idea to subsidize college education through student debt. But the result was not that college got less expensive or more affordable, let's say. Colleges simply increased their prices. And the result is college graduates are the new indentured servants. They are crippled by their debt. You have 22-year-olds made cautious when they, when they should be taking risks and starting companies and starting families. 
And instead, they're like old men already, burdened by this weight they can barely lift. And the fault is the fault of the debt. Here's another example. It's a little darker. (sighs) The War on Poverty which was part of LBJ's Great Society in the mid-60s, subsidized single parenthood because they paid mothers to kick fathers out of the house. Paying mothers to kick fathers out of the house wasn't in the bill. (laughs) But it was the direct result of means-tested benefits. Instead of marrying the father... The father was expelled from the home, and children grew up without a father. And instead of a father, they got a check from the federal government. Now the result, the unintended consequence, was the destruction of the family and the causal, not correlated, causal rise in child abuse, drug abuse, unemployment, poverty, crime, homelessness. Children without fathers fail, period. And yet, we still have a culture that celebrates single mothers, even though statistically their children are screwed. And and the communities those children grow up in are screwed as well. And here's the positive feedback loop. The children of single-parent households fail. Therefore, they're going to need welfare. Therefore, they won't get married either, because welfare prohibits marriage, or at least it significantly disincentivizes it. And so the poor just end up in this trap where the policies that were created to help them keep them in poverty generation after generation. And that same idea applies to economics, where I know just enough to be a little dangerous. And here, just as with student debt, the mechanism is debt. Because debt has this very strange feature. Whatever it finances, like college, gets more expensive. It doesn't get more affordable, it gets more expensive. And in my opinion, that is the cardinal rule of debt. It artificially inflates the cost of something. An education, a house, a car, anything. And now our economy is so desperate for growth that it doesn't just finance everything. It finds new ways to add on more and more debt until the debt is pushed right to the edge. Auto loans for more than 100% of the value of the car. Interest-only adjustable rate mortgages. Subprime. Corporate debt that is now five, six, seven times adjusted EBITDA. And so people end up with these insane levels of debt. They end up slaves to debt. Slaves. Slaves to debt. And at some point, the rubber band of debt stretches so far, it snaps. And debt availability just stops. And that makes prices deflate even more. Rinse, repeat. Now, in 2008, 
the government was so terrified of this scenario, deflation, that it printed trillions, <laughs> trillions of dollars and basically just threw them at assets, hoping to make their prices go up again. And in 2008, this artificial reinflation of asset prices worked. It worked. The rich got bailed out. And asset prices have been on a rocket ship ever since. The stock market. Housing. But now we're back at just insane debt levels. Everywhere. At every level. The federal government has too much debt. Corporations have way too much debt. Households have too much debt. Every possible asset, every possible earnings stream is levered to the hilt. And that works great as long as this positive feedback loop of inflation, debt-driven inflation, lasts. But eventually the rubber band will break, although no one can tell you when. But we can tell that it's fragile. And fragile things don't bend. They break. Now, there's something similar going on in the stock market. Every investor I know is scratching their heads right now, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> well, that's not fair. Okay, we know what's going on, sort of, and we know how messed up it is. Okay, so two things. First, just money printing. In the last six months, the Federal Reserve has just printed $500 billion and thrown them at the banks. And that insane increase in liquidity finds its way into asset prices, into the stock market. But there's another reason, and again, it's an example of a positive feedback loop, which I think makes it scarier. And this positive feedback loop is being driven by something called passive investing. And this is where a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund, you know, an ETF, just buys the whole stock market, just buys the index, like the S&P 500. And this sort of passive investing is now more than half of the entire market. It's just a computer in a data center in New Jersey that says, when a stock goes up, I have to buy more of it because that stock now accounts for more, a higher percentage of the index. And so all the passive funds have to buy more. They have to. It's literally in their programming. You talk about the takeover of AI. AI has already taken over. This is just one example. So the program forces all of these passive investors to buy the stock. And what happens? <laughs> the stock goes up more. And then they have to buy it again. And this positive feedback loop just keeps pushing the prices of stocks up even more. Buy, buy, buy. The result is that the price of the stock becomes completely disconnected from the actual performance of the underlying business. And everyone's happy for a while because their Chucky Schwab balances keep going up. But it's fragile. It's disconnected from reality. 
And then something inevitably happens. Again, no one knows what that thing is. No one. But something. And then the market goes down. And now you have the positive feedback loop in reverse. The passive funds have to sell, which drives the prices down more, which means the passive funds have to keep selling. And the longer this reckoning takes, when a market is driven by these artificial forces, the worse the problem is when it finally arrives. I mean, that is Nassim Taleb 101. So positive feedback loops are incredibly dangerous. Even the ones that look like they're your friend, when they reverse, the same rules still apply. Okay, on that cheerful note, that's all I have. I will catch you next week.